Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome to the PKN Packaging News Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Lindy Hewson, Managing Editor and Publisher of PKN Packaging News and the host of this show. G'day, Lindy. Can you please tell us about our topic and our guests for this episode? Hi, Grant. Um, it's really good to be back at the start of a new season. And as ever, over the period of time that we've had, there have been lots and lots of conversations ongoing about plastic waste. It remains in the spotlight. It remains a tremendous challenge. Um, We've seen the problem that we're having with the collapse of the soft plastic recycling infrastructure and the scurrying around that's having to happen behind the scenes so that we can try and find some solutions. In the meantime, as plastic waste is in the spotlight, we are seeing the development and the rising up of a number of alternatives in the fiber-based packaging space. And new materials are being developed from a range of substrates. And with us in the studio today, I'd like to welcome Colin Farrell, who's the business development manager of a company called Copar. And along with him, we have Jackson Sob, who's the chief executive officer. Now, they are working on a very innovative substrate, and they're here to tell us all about the business and the progress that they're making. Welcome to the podcast, Colin and Jackson. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Great. So let's start at the very beginning. This is a relatively new company. Tell us about Copa and, its, and what its mission is. Let's start with you, Colin. Well, yeah, the, the mission is it's really about empowering people with products that are truly good for the environment or truly good for the earth. Uh, it's, it's really come about because of the proliferation of plastics. Uh, it's, they're, they're quite ubiquitous. They're very widely used. And we then, once we saw that as a community problem in, in terms of COPA, how we started, we made that one of our focus areas. So we started looking to that quite vociferously. Uh, the, the main story, how it started, just to go back how COPA started, COPA is a company... Uh, in the registered clubs movement, we got the Camps Yarrasils as a successful club. I pitched them to start, pitched them, oh, now 2018, I think 2019, to start up like an incubator process for community size incubators to solve community problems. That was accepted by their board. So I started that process there. Now, we do a range of businesses now that, as an RSL club, helps veteran-related businesses we support and we actually educate veteran-related businesses. Uh, And one of the big community problems came up being plastic waste. Now, it came about because there was a startup I was supporting that wanted to create something with what he called compostable plastic. And at the time, I didn't even know what he was talking about. And uh, this was uh, when he started talking about that and he had quite a lot of hard time getting any help about it. He then said to me, and I come from an academic background, he said, oh, no, I've got this person from University of Newcastle. Should I contact him for some help? And I said, you'll get a lot more uh, quicker response from an academic in this because they really want to help. And the academic was a guy called uh, Associate Professor Tava Palanasami. And would you believe he responded to Hugh in 15 minutes uh, for that place. So from that, that all started all the conversations about plastics. They've got their own innovative centre there of uh, looking at plastic alternatives. And uh, we then jumped in and said, okay, let's start the process. We started a three-year uh, research and development deal that was funded by the Camp CRSL group and started the business that ultimately became Copar now. Uh, and from that, all the connections came from there to other businesses and looking at a range of uh, other uh, 
you know, as you said, substrates or other types of stuff for pulping. And uh, from those conversations and everything we started from there, we uncovered wheat straw as a viable alternative. And from that one there, we were able to identify companies overseas that have used wheat straw, and then we developed the process all from there. So, Jackson, at what point did you get involved, and and um, what is your principal role in in the business at the moment? Well, look, my my initial involvement was I have a working relationship with Colin that that last you know many years before we started this. Um, Colin ran by the the concept of you know providing or, or diversifying. Um, revenue streams for clubs, etc. So I, I knew I knew Cole for a while. Uh, I was brought on board probably about a year after Cole started at the Camp Ciara Cell Group, initially as the uh, as the head of project manager to kind of get this off the ground and, and start moving it in the right direction. Um, Cole and I had a really good working, like I said, working history together, so we knew how each other worked really well. Um, and then from there, the business grew quite quickly mm-hmm. um, due to a couple of different reasons. A lot of political shifts. There was a more of a necessity to diversify the club's revenue streams and become less reliant on poker machines. So all of a sudden, that took on a, the the project itself took on a little bit more importance, and then we started employing a lot more people. Uh, and that's kind of when I was offered the the role to become chief executive officer. Um, I must have done a half decent job. So I'm glad I, I'm glad I got offered it, and it's been really great ever since. Look, my primary role in this is a little bit a little bit of vision, a little bit of strategy, but most importantly, I want to facilitate or I want to be able to have the brightest and the smartest people in the room and to facilitate the conversations that they have. To be able to, I guess, to be able to to weave those conversations, to be able to give the structure and give the table and make sure everyone's talking the same language and from the same hymn book is has been a real, real big part of of, of my job um, recently, uh, especially in a, a real innovative space like this where there aren't much, ben- uh, there isn't many benchmarks and there's not many reference points, especially in innov- innovation in general is like that, right? Um, so that's been a massive part of my role. Okay, so let's look at the actual innovation. You say that the University of Newcastle is involved and talk me through what the actual product is and how it's made and what the process is. Well, I'll, I'll start, then Jackson can fill in the rest. Uh, what we're doing, University of Newcastle, their role for us is, is, is what's basically called biomass optimization, finding the best raw material we can to make two ranges of products, first primarily fibre-based products, and the second one is also what we call biopolymer range, stuff that will actually, biopolymers such as stretch films and everything that will naturally compost in the environment. So if I just first go to fibre-based, uh, the wheat straw has been used somewhat sparingly by other countries, primarily in India, where a lot of our uh, uh, contacts are. Uh, it hasn't really taken off to a great extent because um, those countries don't have as much of a have much of it as a resource. It's I mean Australia's got twenty five million tons of wheat straw. Now I'm talking about wheat straw. We're talking about the waste. Yes, yes, the chaff. So not the wheat. It's yeah. the waste. So they cut off the waste and it just sits in the uh, sits in the farm, or they might use it around the farmyard to do types of things that's lying around. So that actually is viable as an alternative that was used. Now, we, of course, the first question is just why isn't it being widely used? Is it well, Australia has an abundance of it. We don't really have an abundance of it here in India or other places. Sugarcane 
biocane is is abundant. So would they been using that instead? So they haven't looked at. Whilst in Australia we had the reverse problem where sugarcane wasn't abundant. It was mainly used for biofilm, so we had to write that one off pretty early in the process. And then we said, oh, let's put uh, most of our efforts into, into wheat straw. So we've done a lot of testing via R&D with wheat straw in terms of treating the wheat straw before it goes in to make it a better product. That testing has gone very, very well. We're in the final stages now because we're actually getting the factory up of really testing that on the updated new machinery, the new technology that's been developed by our Australian team and the Indian team that we've uh, gone through with. So wheat straw is proving to be viable. I've got wheat straw, the first samples of wheat straw products in my office right here. We've got another range coming out next week. And then, of course, there's further uh, technological innovations coming from that. We're actually talking to people in the United States who want to test our products on other items as well in terms of uh, 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 meat and livestock products and produce products that we're sort of pushing to the other ground. So the wheat straw there is proven viable. Explain to me the process. So we've got this bulk waste byproduct of farming. Um, Jackson, what are the steps that, that get taken next um, in the process? It must be a pulping, I'm assuming, and but talk us through that. Yeah, so we, so we get... Um I don't want to give too much away, but I will give enough away. But we get essentially we'll, we we go direct to the farmer. We take the bottom half of the wheat straw, as you, obviously the top half is 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 grain and used for for various different reasons, and the bottom half is usually the waste or used for cattle feed. So we collect that. We take it through um, a little bit of like a, a cleaning system where we kind of de-dust it. We get rid of um, excess particles and, and residue, and that goes through then a pulping process. So you're right; it is it is almost like a slurry, if you can imagine like a big slurry. Um, from there, it goes through um, a forming uh, and trimming process. So, well, obviously, it gets it gets hot pressed. The 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 moisture gets sucked out. It then goes through a, th- a thermoforming machine and a trimming process, and then it comes out the other side as a finished product, depending on what molds we're operating with and working with. And obviously, the different kinds of molds or different kinds of products that we produce have a, a little a slightly different manufacturing process. Not too much, but just slightly different. So you spoke about technology that's coming in, um, equipment that you've, I'm assuming there would be some capital investment that's happened there. When is that equipment going to be installed and up and running? So so we're looking, the first shipping container for our first lots of equipment is coming next month. Mm-hmm. Um, which will be really exciting. It, it is a little bit of an arduous process, so in regards to test and tagging, there needs to be some supporting infrastructure as well at our facility in Bathurst, which needs to be done. So, look, uh, overall, we're probably looking towards the end of the year is when is when we'll get commercial operation ready. There will be a, a obviously a, a testing period for for all our equipment and machines, which is probably going to come online. The next probably six to seven months, and mm-hmm. then we'll we'll go through about a month of of testing and then we'll, commercial operation will be ready to go at the end of this year. So at um, the moment, we're... Colin, you said you have some samples um, in the office of this product. Are you going reaching out to brand owners and showing them the product so that they can start to think about planning for this? Because as we know, we don't change packaging materials overnight. It is a big process when you're a manufacturer. Yes, we have. Look, we've actually got quite a lot of leads. We've been at trade shows overseas. And in Australia, in fact, the Birmingham trade show that was just in the UK last week, because we've got UK partners as well, uh, we were exhibiting at that show. We've got quite a lot of interest into seeing the product. Uh, So what we have done well is there's there's a couple of issues with fibre-based products is where I believe we're at the forefront. An issue with coming with 
uh, fiber-based products. People want to use fiber-based products because they want to see those as an alternative. So um, the other, there was another sort of complicating issue that is I'm not heard of PFAs or PFAS issue, where we now uh, formerly people just used PFAS-based chemicals, and of course they're quite damaging to human health, and we have to move away from those. We've already started the process of working with uh, suppliers of non-PFAS coating. So our first lot of products came out with non-PFAS coating. The first one we did was a plate because we thought everyone would have a plate. We actually went to the Impact Dex conference uh, for a variety of reasons last November. We actually started distributing those last year uh, to certain clients. I've still got some of those here to see how so they would go. So that's a dinner plate, a, a takeaway plate. Yeah. Just a flat-out dinner plate, takeaway plate. Mm. So just give us something like something they had already had a mould mm. for that we could see worked. We then call what happens is all our samples will come from over there. They then go to our lab at the University of Newcastle. Okay. They then get tested for all the, the performance characteristics. Uh, the PFAS coding has worked. It's got to go to a certain standard to make sure it's PFAS free. Uh, we have all those range of heavy metal testing to make sure everything passes the, the product. So we've gone, we're going through through that stage now. So I've got those, I've got another lot coming from using, at this stage, Indian wheat straw that are due this week for us. They'll be basic products that we're going to give to some clients, both in Australia and in the UK, because the UK are looking for these products as well. And then the next phase is we've got 200 kilos. Now, it's sort of, a, we've got sort of I call normal wheat straw, which is just the raw wheat straw. I've then got shredded wheat straw. I've then got enzyme-mediated wheat straw from the University of Newcastle. We're testing all that on this new equipment, seeing differences in products with the Australian. And of course, then that machinery will then be passing our testing and that will then be forward. That will then come to Australia. So I'll have a range of products all around there. We, we actually have a bit of a waiting list of people waiting for the samples of what they want coming via these processes currently now. Okay. So is this are these people who are waiting, are they um, brand owners or business owners in the food service space? Can you give me some indication as to who's interested? We're tending to find a, a lot more in the horticultural Horticultural okay. producers uh, are very interested in, in this type of. Uh, okay, so this punnets type of for fruit and veg, that sort of thing. Punnets is a big one. Trays. Mm. I, mean, I know the viewers can't see it like that one. Okay. That's okay. a punnets for mushrooms, cut cut meat, uh, cut fruits, mm. uh, tomato things like that is something that people are looking at. Uh, not just in Australia, that is a big big issue in the in the UK as well. So uh, fiber, we believe, has a good good solution for that. Okay, so Jackson, when you when you start at the beginning of it, and you went to speak to farmers about because you've got to get your your feedstock, uh, were they quite pleased to have an outlet for their waste? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, we, we we even spoke to to the point where we even spoke to a couple that actually pay people to remove their waste for them. So so they were really really pleased. And for us, it's about you know, it's not just about. I guess being Australian made and providing and taking the farmers' waste away from them, it also gives them an additional revenue stream, right? And it also it also provides a really well. It actually creates an entire supply chain. That's effectively what we've done through this, which is something that we're really proud of. Um, not only you know creating a supply chain, but also you know uh, quite a transparent and consistent one, which is really important. As we've worked out in the last three years, how important a supply chain is. I mean, for us for us to be for us to be involved in creating one, um, not only a sustainable one but a transparent one, is something that that, that that excites us and excites them too. So we've looked at the types of applications, fruit, potentially meat products. Would that would I be correct? That is correct. Yeah, yeah. And you have the barrier properties on those molded trays to accomplish that. 
Now, if you look to the future, so your first step would be to get it fully operational, full supply chain, all Australian sourced, Australian made and sold in Australia. I'm assuming you have plans for export of these products too? Well, that is correct. As I said, we've already been talking to the UK who are looking for this. Their plastics laws get really significantly tightened. I think it's September this year. So we're getting a lot of interest from there, but of course we've gone to there. The other reason why we have our, we'll have uh, one of our partners is UK based, who also has their emperor, and uh, he's working with us quite a lot there as well. But again, they seem to be looking for the same solutions. Ready to eat industry, they they they're using plastic plastic trays. They love plastic trays. They're nice. They're efficient. They work. But of course, they're not. They're they're harmful to the environment. Uh, you know, using fossil type fuels type stuff to get them made. That's up. So they need to start start looking for the the solution to look for that. So that's what we're trending to find at the moment. Yeah, just on the plastic trays. Look, I love plastic straws. I can't stand the paper and cardboard ones. You know, but I think you know. But I think one of the things that that and Cole and I speak about this quite frequently, and, and not just Cole and I, but the whole team, is that we're not anti plastic. You know, plastic, no, no. plastic has served and is a really, really great product with some great applications, um, you know, in different industries. Just, you know, it's just how we use it needs to change, you know, in, in a lot of different areas. But as a whole, you know, like I said, we're not anti-plastic. It's a great product. It's just the application that needs to change. And I think that we're all kind of getting accustomed to that fact. And, and that's a big part of our proposition as an organization is that, you know, we're a solution-based company. We're here to help. We're here to, you know, to see the transition through. Um, we understand that it's difficult. You know, obviously there's a price component there as well. So we're really big on being a solution-based company. And that just, that doesn't involve just the application of product. That also involves the transition away from the existing one as well. So I was going to ask, that was my next question, how competitive will you be price-wise when you compare a plastic tray to your tray? Oh, heaps more expensive. <laughs> I mean, let's just come out and say, let's just get the facts with the facts. But, you know, again, it's a little, you know, having that conversation is important, right, because the reference points for a lot of people are going to become irrelevant. You know, I, I used to pay one cent for a tray. Well, you can't buy that tray anymore. It's illegal. So let's have apples for apples and oranges for oranges, you know. In regards to, you know, the, the, the sustainable or the fibre-based space of where we operate in um, and stuff that you import that everyone actually imports from China and then a little bit from India is we are price competitive. We are in that range. And that comes down to our, you know, advanced manufacturing solutions. We've been able to really take existing technology and just make it, you know, 10 times more efficient and effective. Now, Colin, you um, were starting to tell us a little bit about the bio-packaging solutions that you have um, on the cards. Can you tell us about that now? I certainly can. Yeah, we're also looking into doing our own bio- – we're actually engineering our own biopolymers that will be made by biomass. We're in that process. That's the second strain of uh, – well, there's quite a few strains, but the two main strains that we're doing with the University of Newcastle. So um, they've got a range of products that are currently uh, – what I mean by natural organic products that we can make biopolymers from. Uh, that's the key to circularity. If it's something that's biodegradable and it's natural from the first instance, therefore, when it goes to the waste stage, it will biodegrade, it will compost. So uh, we've got a range of products we're sort of looking at there. I suppose it's mainly the flexible packaging stuff we're looking at. We, we've got to find those, those range of polymers that can make, for instance, one that we have a lot of attention on is flexible wraps. You've got pallet wraps as one instance and the flexible wraps uh, for cooking. So the old glad wrap that people use. Uh, now getting that 
product with the consistency and everything around like that to sort of the kind of multi-directional usage is pretty difficult. Um, we're working on that one now. We'll, we'll be actually using the flexible packaging. That's one part of it. The other part of it, of course, is what I call our hybrid products, where the fiber-based products, you'll want like that punnet tray, they'll want a film over the top of it, one, to remove all pathogens, one, so we can use an active film technology, and to make sure the shelf life can be extended. So the longer that shelf life can be extended. So that's what we're working on now in terms of meat tray products as well, where we're working on partnerships with those. When we get our first lot of samples, there's going to be a lot of initial testing done on our wheat straw packaging for that that is coming up in the next month or so. So we're looking at those solutions. So as Jackson says, we're a solution-based business. We want to be sort of fresh, fresh produce. You want those trays. This will be the solution. You need to get – this will be one product that you have together. So we'll have the, the flexible film – that we fully aim that it will be compostable, biodegradable. There'll be no microplastics if that one goes. And also the, the fibre tray will fall into that process as well. That, that's the, the ultimate sort of vision we're looking at there. But the, the main things people like in relation to those products, whether that is flexible films, stretch films that have said that. Another one is bread bags. Bread bags in the UK is a big issue because they love bags in plastic. Instead of using that one, uh, so produce bags as well, like shopping bags. The other thing is even those flower sleeves. You know those big flower sleeves. Lots of those get consumed. Where you buy some flowers, you buy them from retail distributors, where they wrap that up into that plastic. There's calls to get that changed, and also just top lid films for any lid films for sort of any product that you can go over the top. There's quite a lot of combinations and. Uh, applications of those that we're working through as well. But the main thing I see the advantage of is providing that solution sort of with ready-to-eat packaging. We've got that and the film on top all in the one shot, and it, they're both recyclable or uh, biodegradable and um, compostable. So your facility is in Bathurst because that um, is close to source, <laughs> I assume, and also close to university. Um How's that going to play out when it comes to setting up your supply chain and and getting things into the market into up the eastern seaboard and and all the rest? Have you got have you thought that? Obviously, you've thought that far, but what are your plans there in terms of developing your channels? Well, it was part strategy and part luck. So we were we were originally set up up in Musselbrook. So obviously, we, we were talking with uh, the UHEDC, which is the Upper Hunter Economic Development. Corporation. They all love the acronyms. So we were up there um, talking to them as they look to transition. Obviously, mining is is a large part of what they do, and they were looking for some future plans there. We we had some, we had something um, what we thought was in stone up there. Long story short, it wasn't. We had to find another location, uh, and then all of a sudden, we we saw an opportunity um, in Bathurst. Again, the proximity to raw materials is very important for something uh, like this for a lot of different reasons, especially anything in ag waste because it's very seasonal and can be seasonal. So for us to have to be in close proximity to, to, to our raw materials um, was important. Um, in regards to the channel and distribution, Bathurst has a fantastic freight distribution as it is. So there's there's quite there's quite a large a large company called Grain Corp which operates down there. Um, we're in initial talks with them um, around, I guess, piggybacking off what they do already because, look, we're not logistics experts, you know, but they're out there and, uh, you know, we're engaging with them now so we can learn from them. So, that, so that, that, that's something that that's really exciting for us and, and also really helpful. Um, but f- uh, Bathurst has a fantastic freight infrastructure existing already, which is, which is something that we looked at before we moved in, uh, but something that we're, we're learning a little bit more in depth with now. 
Well, Colin, what are the next steps for the business? Well, our, our next big important step, as you know, this is going to be a constant business that will need to reinvent products, is that the we have been funding the University of Newcastle. They're on track to be a DIN-CERTCO classified centre for testing bioplastics and these fibre-based plastics for biodegradability and compostability. So they'll be the only one in Australia. We've been working on this process for a while. They're in the final auditing stages. The, the difficulty at the moment is getting an auditor in Australia that can be one of the three judges. We expect that to be up on from April. For us, that's a great advantage in terms of getting all our products certified to international and Australian standards. So we can actually use the University of Newcastle, our labs there, to get that process done, which is very exciting. The other one is we're having some biopolymers that are currently under the testing process at overseas in a, in a lab in Isiga. And at this stage, they're all on track for being developed. And this is a, this is, these are biopolymers that are developed uh, in conjunction with the University of Newcastle. So everything looks good for that as well. So the next two parts, but in terms of getting the products out, we've got our, in terms of what customers will see, we'll have our first sample. We have a first lot of samples in a big sampling box coming to those people that have asked for those initially. So there are people on a priority. They want to see them straight away, both in Australia and overseas. We will, after that process, that's using India wheat straw. That will be replicated with Australian wheat straw with many sample boxes be available for people to take. And then from that point on, once the machinery, of course, is installed, goes through commissioning, when we commence trial production, we can then provide people a trial production process where they can actually get a large range of products done for their needs so they can trial before they can then put their orders in when we go into final production. So at this stage, that's the sort of timeline, rough timeline we're working through the end of the year and getting people interested in the category of wheat straw, but also the, the product developments in relation to doing with the University of Newcastle becoming an internationally certified centre is huge for us because that's really going to dictate to us good feedback coming from customers and what they want from products. And then we can have that direct voice with the people in the lab, which uh, we've now been developing that process for a couple of years. Well, the last, well, the first time I met the team was at OSPAC in May last year. And um, next year, 2024, we have the new iteration of OSPAC, which is Apex 2024. And by that time, you'll have product on the market. So I'm really looking forward to catching up with, with you guys early in the new year, if not before, to follow the developing story. So congratulations on your innovation and um, all the best with it going forward. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Really great to be here. Well, thank you, Colin and Jackson. Thanks, Lindy. And of course, thanks to our audience for joining us today. Don't forget, if you enjoyed what you've heard, you can follow us in your favorite podcatcher to ensure you get every episode as they're released. We'll be back in the not too distant future with another informative discussion. But until then, have a great day. The PKN Podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.
Southern Skies Media.